Welcome to PTBC Podcast, where we will be speaking about innovation, technology, growing your business, and maximizing your entrepreneurial potential. Let's get down to business. Hey guys, welcome to the PTBC podcast where we're talking with physiotherapists, clinic owners, and entrepreneurs about innovation and anything business related within the uh, realm of physical therapy. My name is Justin and I'm joined here by my lovely colleague Sarush. How are you doing, man? Good. How are you guys? I'm good. So we have uh, quite a special guest today. We have co-founder of Foundation Physio, uh, Matthew Lang, aka Maddie, aka Jose Bautista. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, Foundation Physio is a multidisciplinary clinic. Um, in the core of downtown Toronto, it's minutes from the CN Tower, and they're located on Front Street. Um, if you have any, um, if you want to learn more about Foundation Physio, if you want to look, look, look more into the services, you can find them on www.foundationphysio.com. So, let's dot .com. Dot, dot com. Dot com. Dot com. <laughs> we went all over that dot com. Was it, oh, okay. I swear I thought it was that. <laughs> Foundationphysio.com. <laughs> all right, good. Okay. All right, let's get down to business. So how are you doing today, Matty? Good, thanks for having me on, guys. No worries. So yeah, just uh, tell us, you know, how you guys, how you got started with Foundation Physio. You, uh, we understand that you also graduated from U of T a couple of years back. Yeah, so I graduated 2009 uh, from U of T. Um, and got lucky and was able to get uh, an outpatient job right away yeah. through one of the big uh, big brands. Uh, basically, what happened was within two years of working under that sort of like corporate um, top down style clinic with many levels of management and different people you have to answer to, um, I just kind of basically hit my wits end. Um, as far as rules and processes and regulations, uh, there was really nowhere to grow upward uh, outside of you know your clinical skills level. Uh, I was in a weird position where my clinic was actually my head clinic was actually in Scarborough, so to actually get any mentoring, I was traveling into the city or up to North York as well, uh, which was fine. It was still free mentoring, but really outside of that, there was no benefit to it. Um, I had an issue, a couple issues build up. Um, personality issues with some of the management, not directly within the clinic, but um, in the middle management system. So I started looking for a new clinic. I started looking for a, a boutique style orthopedic clinic uh, where I could continue to get some mentoring as far as my orthopedic growth, um, in particular through the F-Camp and the orthopedic system. Um, I was kind of looking everywhere from Scarborough through Markham, Vaughan, into Mississauga just for a different change. Uh, somebody I could learn some more business stuff from as well, and just nobody was hiring, to be honest, um, except for one clinic. Uh, they were already in the middle of their interview process, and that's where I reconnected with Raj, who had been a clinic director uh, for me when I first graduated, two years prior to that, and I reached out to him, I asked him, hey, can you, you know, I know you guys are interviewing, can you get me an interview with your boss? And he said, yeah, no problem, when you come meet me and let's sit down and chat. And then over that lunch, that we ended up having, we decided that our goals were kind of similarly aligned and that we decided, well, why don't we just go do this ourselves? And he had a kind of a rough idea of rough business plan, I like to call it, um, that he had kind of already ready to go. And I said, uh, I was 27 and I said, screw it. <laughs> Good time to take a risk without family or commitments. And we just kind of dove in and, and went forward with our, our goals and our plans. That's awesome. So, I was kind of we we're kind of wondering um, how did you guys come up with the name of Foundation Physio? And what uh, what's uh, what's the idea behind the logo? And we saw that you guys did a little bit of rebranding or not rebranding. Sorry, you did an upgrade at the clinic. We did, we did a yeah. graffiti art yeah. installation. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> that was something um, you know with everybody just more social media now. We're doing more videos and pictures, um, imaging um, either for our clients as far as direct. Um, just exercises we're sending to our clients um, or posting things on to different social medias. We wanted something other than your just generic white wall to, to do video in front of and with some nice lighting and lucky enough to have some really cool clients who are um, actual artists. So I was able to get one of my clients in who does some graffiti art. He's done some cool things for like uh, Red Bull and a couple of the restaurants in the city and he was more than happy to come in and yeah, 
uh, do the mural for us, and he actually took a cool little video. So hopefully we're going to be sharing that with everybody yeah. as well soon. But um, I got to give Raj his props. That was his name. That was a name that he had thought about even before I kind of joined up with him into this. I think that was his kind of baby name in the back, you know, that he had already decided on. Uh, the idea is simply it's the foundation of your injury, right? That we're not, you know, not to sound like a cheesy physio nerd, but like really like we're not just treating your symptoms. We're treating the foundation of your issue, right? We're not throwing an ultrasound or a hot pack on. We're actually looking at your body and trying to figure that out. And then that's actually where the logo comes from as well. So it's meant to be kind of an abstract spine, essentially. Oh, yeah, so if you go back and you look at the logo now, you'll wow, see there's okay. a little bit of a curvature to the, to the okay. logo as well. <laughs> so it's a little bit like a... He designed it almost like it's stone stacked. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Um, that's exactly what we're yeah, yeah. So we it's kind of that spine like, and stones. stones. Yeah. yeah. So kind of again, go, driving back to the foundation of you know our, our clients, our patients' issues, and, and yeah. how we can help rebuild mm -hmm. them. Wow, that's an amazing message. That's awesome. Um, so, um, in terms of when you partnered with Raj. Uh, what did you find, uh, what were you thinking of what you wanted in a business partner before you kind of agreed and went forward with that then? For me, I wanted somebody who had, who held similar, uh, let's say business cultural views. I think that was very important for me coming from, um, well, coming from Lifemark, okay, uh, where there was, it did feel like there was very much glass ceiling, where it didn't feel like there was much growth potential. We both want. We both had similarly aligned goals of a culture that we wanted to build, which we don't typically talk about a lot in healthcare. It's more something you'll read more on, like on entrepreneur blogs, right, or on your, you know, your Forbes 500. Those entrepreneurs and, and what they're talking about when they're building their teams, right? Yeah. Um, that view of you know everybody has to work hard, but money's not always the bottom line either, right? We wanted a place where. Yeah, everybody's making their living and being paid accordingly and rewarded accordingly, but also a place where people want to go to work, right? where people have some sort of some sort of camaraderie, I guess is what I'm trying to say, with their coworkers, right? They, you know, not that everybody has to hang out after work, but that it's not uncommon to go get a beer after work, right? Or hang out with somebody on the weekend, yeah. go catch a game with somebody. We wanted it to be uh, more of a flat. Uh, building a uh, build as opposed to a pyramid style building where it's not just top down where we're just yeah. disseminating our rules to everybody. We want everybody's input. Right? We saw that a lot again, not, not to throw life mark under the bus, but me being on the ground floor, you see things a lot differently day to day mm -hmm. that could be improved. But if you keep bringing those things up to management and they don't get changed, you start to say, forget it. You know, you're not going to go through, your energy to fix that, you're just going to kind of take care of your clientele, right? And we didn't want that, right? Because my clients see the same thing as your clients would, as your clients would. So it, we've got to look at it more of a family atmosphere. Yeah. You know, you got to take care of the clinic. you got to take care of any client that walks in the door. you got to make everybody feel welcome. So that's kind of how we started, mm -hmm. right? And we wanted to find therapists who fit that mold as well, who wanted to develop professionally, um, as well as grow not only their technical skills, but their soft skills as well. Um, and who, you know, in, in the future maybe wanted to take management positions, right? We didn't necessarily want to find people who, and it goes for the front desk and administrative team as well. We didn't want people who were just always going to be content answering phones or just coming in and, you know, checking in, checking out, ultrasounding, manipulating, whatever it could be, right? You could be a fantastic McKenzie therapist, but if you, you just want to come in and come out, grab your check on the way home. That was never going to be the right type of fit for us. So I think when I was looking for a business partner, that's what I was looking for to align those cultural goals. Um, it was important for me to find somebody I could argue with. I'm an argumentative guy. So for me, I mean, I'm going to get in arguments anyway. So you better be able to get in arguments and at least answer me back and not let me just railroad people. Um, you know, I think everything secondly came after that. Um, it was nice to have Raj as opposed to, you know, who's a friend and who's a colleague, but not somebody who is a best friend either, right? So if there was ever going to be issues um, and larger issues, especially at the beginning where, 
you know, you're not making a lot of money and rent's tight and all those, mm-hmm. like those higher stress situations, having it be a, a friend but not a best friend yeah. definitely helped, mm-hmm. um, at least through the initial part, right? Uh, so that wasn't something I knew going in. I think like most physios, you tend to go into business with somebody you just know. Yeah. And a lot of times that tends to be somebody you either went to school with or you've gone through a lot of coursework with. And that might work for a lot of people and a lot of people's personalities. Mm-hmm. For me, I think I you know got lucky a little bit with that. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So you find that like your kind of skill set, were they kind of complimentary or you? Yeah, yeah. And I don't think we knew that. I mean, it's hindsight now, yeah. seven, almost seven full years later. Yeah. Hindsight is to say, our skills are very complementary. Mm-hmm. Uh, we react to different situations yeah. differently. Um, I tend to be a little bit of a gut check guy, kind of go on intuition yeah. and make quicker decisions, yeah. which sometimes is way better. And Raj tends to be the one who is a, a little bit more thought out when it comes to larger decisions. Mm-hmm. So we complement each other well with that. Uh, when it comes to some staffing issues, <laughs> again, um, I tend to be a little bit quicker to the draw. <laughs> you know, if I'm getting upset at somebody, which again can sometimes be complimentary because yeah. we, uh, this is going to come off as bad, but we say at the clinic, he's the mom and I'm the dad. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like quick trigger a little bit. I'm the one who gets upset a little bit more. He's always telling me to chill out a little bit and not be so mean to the kids. Yeah. So in, in that way, and maybe that's something that's just naturally grown a little mm-hmm. bit, that yeah. having certain personality traits allows us to then almost default to our our strengths mm-hmm. and lets the other guy take over where they're strong as well. Yeah. And then on the other side of it, there's a lot of like, we're just, we're, we are very similar when it comes to the art of like business and hustling as well. So we both feel comfortable in yeah. that when it comes to business development, another one of us has to just completely take the lead. Yeah. We can both handle our side when opportunities come up, um, when it comes to interviewing new staff and new therapists, um, as well, you know, when it comes to treating, you're very comfortable with that other person as well, Mm -hmm. right? So you do have to have a level of um, some professional, um, comfort with them, right? Um, So it's not, but I think that's kind of the understood, you know, if you're getting into a healthcare profession, professional corporation with somebody, you should feel like, they're going to take care of you want to feel like you're okay to send your grandmother to them yeah right yeah yeah. that's kind of a good rule of thumb otherwise all the other skills don't really matter Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. and that's kind of what i've been seeing through like your uh post on instagram like for you and raj you guys kind of have that similar perspective or mindset in terms of business it's all about like you know like hustling and about that growth mindset Mm -hmm. and you know i can kind of see that just from you know what you guys post so well, I'm glad. I'm glad you see that. I think that comes a lot from our uh, our backgrounds and our upbringings. Yeah. And though they're they're fairly diverse in, in how we were we were brought up and raised and where we grew up, mm-hmm. um, I think we both had that just mentality of you've got to achieve and you've got to consistently grow. And for sure, you know, status quo is never yeah. enough. And yeah. uh, that's why we always post a lot of. Uh, or at least I post a lot of Jay-Z quotes all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs guys like Ray Dalio when you got Jay-Z? <laughs> I just bought this book. <laughs> I'm, that's, that's the book that's on my list. But, uh, it's on my desk. <laughs> sitting on my desk. But okay, I'll throw it out. Yeah. It's <laughs> Jay-Z okay. it is. That's okay. That, it's, on my, it's on my desk too. <laughs> okay. Just catch, catch the dust. <laughs> I, had to, I had to get through the Jay-Z one first. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, you know, while we're on this kind of growth mindset um, topic, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure that over the years, you've developed certain habits that you're kind of now have been impacting your life and your business. Mm-hmm. So what are some of these habits that you can kind of uh, let us know about that you found that was really crucial in forming to help uh, your business be successful and your, in your life? You're, you're asking more just kind of like daily habit type things? Yeah. yeah. Um, for me, I've realized I'm... I've, I'm an, an evening, afternoon, evening person. That's mm-hmm. when I work best, mm-hmm. um, creatively at least. So, you know, in the morning, first thing I do, just force my, my ass to get out of bed because I never want to actually get out of bed. <laughs> and then it's make, a, make an espresso or an Americano and then sit down with email and try to bang through 
all the email. Um, I won't check email too late at night either because I don't want that kind of on your mind. I find uh, when you when you're we want to call it hustling, right? And you're yeah. working, it can weigh on your mind a lot. So that you do have to learn how to disengage, mm-hmm. and that was a big thing and something I still try to work on. Yeah. Is you know at some point in the night you have to turn off, right? And checking emails is the biggest pit. Because you might think it's just an app you swipe onto, but you never know what's going to pop up in that email. So you got to train yourself not to look at email after a certain point. Uh, so first thing in the morning, I'll try to bang through that because you can get through your emails and start kind of getting through your point forms mm-hmm. before you really have to be 110%. Next thing I'll do is always kind of work out what I have to, what my plan is for that day. You know, so just in my journal, I don't have like two separate journals, like a thought journal and a day planner. I just keep one. And first thing I'll do is, you know, especially on a Monday is I'll bang out what I need to get done that week, order of priority, and then basically, you know, kind of identify days I need to get it and just kind of review that every morning. And then, uh, yeah, get to work, right? Get to work. Um, Always make sure that you stay active at some point of your day. And then uh, work, <laughs> you know, and just try to find ways to, um, for me, it's been trying to find places to work better. The problem with being in a clinic scenario is as soon as you sit down in the clinic, you're never going to get any work done. There's always somebody who, especially as in our case, the business keeps growing and I, you can ask Raj this, we'll actually try to hide, <laughs> you know, and it's not that we're, we want to stay away. We want to be, you know. Uh, hermits or something, but we, like, you can't get a thought process to fruition yeah. in a lot of cases yeah. if you're available in the clinic. You need some solitude. You, yeah. you need some solitude because either one of the, the therapists has a rent, you know, a question clinically, or sometimes you know personally, or they just want to talk about the weekend. Somebody from the front desk wants to know something with billing or what's some new partnership we've got going on. So for me, it's uh, I've actually regressed to going to Starbucks quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love the fact they have free Wi-Fi and the coffee's not bad. So I'm always at like a Starbucks somewhere yeah. trying to hide out. Yeah. Uh, and that's always a good place. Um, yeah, I find those are like, I don't actually like too much structure in my day. But I find having those couple things where it's like, at least that morning's got to be just emails, catching up on some things. And then that quick, you know, half hour planning session. And that goes for like the marketing, that goes for things we need to do in clinic, but it's all just got to be listed out so I know I can check those things off as the day goes. And then, yeah, just try to find a little solitude to get that work done. Um, I, I know some colleagues who are very strict that are like, you know, Tuesdays are social media days, Wednesdays are research days. Mm-hmm. I've just never been able to be that, that strict. I need a little bit of freedom in my life because there's some days I like to work till 2 and you know a.m. in the morning. And some days I want to go to bed at 10. So I just want a little yeah. bit of freedom to kind of work on that, right? sure. especially when it's you know NBA playoffs. Depends who's playing, what time zone they're playing into. So Close depends on the for a couple of weeks. <laughs> um, so those are some pretty good habits that I guess you form over the years. Uh, any bad habits you hit the ditch? Good question. <laughs> I still got a lot of bad habits. Um, <laughs> Anyone's you're trying any, to, anyone trying that to can, leave behind? Any bad habits I can share with you guys. Um, <laughs> one that a lot of people, um, one that I, I'm sure if anybody knows me would be surprised is I don't, uh, I don't drink during the week anymore. Um, and that just came from it being a social endeavor, especially mm-hmm. just meeting up with people after work, uh, colleagues, friends, whatever it might be. And uh, for a while I was living just a kilometer away from work. So it made it very easy to just pop into a pub on the way home. So a little bit, that was more of a health reason. Yeah. Um, and you don't realize what two pints of beer does to your head the next morning until you actually just stop doing it every night. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. you just assume, well, it's a beer. It's two beers. Mm-hmm. It's a whiskey, whatever it is. So that's one habit I've dropped <laughs> uh, that most people probably would not suspect I've dropped. Yeah. But because um, everybody knows how much I like my whiskey and... Uh, <laughs> and beer, but that's out of that's been out of my uh, my body for a couple months now. Okay. Um, one that I have a trouble with is actually going to bed on time, yeah. uh, and trying to get that full night's rest. Yeah. Um, 
and that's just because I do like a little bit of, you know, I like the ability to go to a game, you know, randomly in a week or hang out with somebody or watch a movie or kind of, or work as well. So trying to train, it feels weird. It feels like I'm trying to treat myself like a child. Like I've got to be like, all right, going to go to bed at a certain time. So I struggle with that one. And I'm sure most people who are very productive in the morning would tell you they probably have a good bedtime. Yeah, I don't want to get that <laughs> so don't worry. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So just in terms, of, I was always curious. Um, in terms of you started kind of growing your business like two years or just two years out yeah. after after school. How are you able to balance, you know, your growth as a clinician while also you know growing your business acumen as well? You know, like how are you able to balance, you know, really both those kind of things. Two things. One, I had a really good, a really good network of mentors yeah. who I could rely on to really help me and a couple of my colleagues grow, um, especially going through the orthopedic um, FCAMP level system, where you need specified hours to get. Um, that was huge for me, and I was, I was very lucky to have those people in my life. The second thing was just we worked. We were working at times six days a week in the clinic. So logging literally 45 hours to 46 hours of clinical time. Yeah. And then mentoring on top of that and just trying to find two hours or one hour a week where you could sit down with either your colleagues or their, those mentors to work on that. So um, in retrospect, it would have been nice to not have been doing both at the exact same time yeah. to such a, a a huge degree where the volume had to be turned up on both of them for the exact, you know, first three years, let's say. Yeah. Um, but you just, you know, when you're forced with um, making something succeed and survive and you got your back up against the wall a little bit at the beginning, you're always going to, you're going to be driven to work a little bit harder and you don't find it as difficult as well to add those extra hours. Because, um, yeah, I mean, that. As I think back to it, it would have been 45 hours, you know, minimum 40 hours a week clinically. Yeah. Usually, you know, sometimes 45. Other times we were off-site with our Aussie rule football team or our roller derby team, trying to build the business or make those community connections or giving talks at the running room or whatever it might yeah. be. So I might actually be underestimating how much time we were putting into it initially. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you just, you kind of just, there's no simple answer. You just sweat. You know, just old-fashioned sweat and, and grind, right? <laughs> Wish there was a better answer. <laughs> um, I actually want to backtrack just a little bit about when you were talking about kind of the, you know, how at foundation you guys don't have this top-down approach and you have the same level type of leadership where, you know, you're at the level of the, your employees. Um, how have you, as a clinic owner, clinic director, uh, uh, co-founder, how have you kind of put, how, invested in your employees and how has that returned for you in terms of your business? Mm. I would say we, we try to do it a couple ways because not everybody's going to respond to those same, I don't want to use the word rewards, to the same feedback, right? Mm -hmm. um, one thing we instituted this year was a weekly huddle. So everybody in the team, administrative, uh, clinical, everybody gets together half an hour on Tuesday just to allow people to voice concerns, everybody get on the same page. Um, if we're introducing something new, there's a couple new things we've been rolling, like uh, features we've been rolling out for our patients, keep everybody on the same page with that, allow people to bring up issues with them. Um, I think just giving people that forum to know that they're being understood, they're being heard as well, and that they can voice those issues, complaints, whatever it might be, um, publicly without kind of any fear of recourse is something that I think people appreciate, but also seems like a very small thing, but it actually has a, a, a big impact on the team itself. Um, other ways we've done it, um, Simple things like, you know, um, easy one is, you know, feed people. <laughs> you know, everybody loves to be fed, worse. right? So, you know, <laughs> we're not opposed to bribing everybody with food every once in a while for a job well done. Yeah. Um, for things like helping us out, you know, um, spring cleaning on the clinic, right? Um, 
you guys have been into some clinical scenarios now, try to go find something, right? Yeah. We actually, you know, every two years clean out the entire clinic and um, as a thank you, we'll take everybody out for dinner. Um, we try to also give back as far as, uh, you know, mentoring, if it's business or if it's clinical. We sit down, my rule of thumb with any of our clinicians is if they want to work on anything clinical, they just need to book it in my schedule. They have access to my schedule. All they do is book it. They can book it till the end of the year if they want. That's fine. As long as they're committing to it as well. My time is theirs. Um, we do the same thing with the soft skills, right? If we find some of our clinicians are having trouble retaining clients or working their programs of care or whatever they might be, we'll sit down with them and, and help them with that stuff as well. Again, without pointing fingers or making people feel bad. Um, and I think what we, we get rewarded with is the clinicians and the staff members who fit in well to our team don't want to leave our team. So if they have an issue, they bring it up to us instead of letting it fester and then just leaving like I did with Life, with Lifemark. Yeah. Right? So, um, and when somebody does have an opportunity pres presented to them, they also don't sneak around the back and hide it. They're very upfront with it. And they'll let us know, hey, I've been presented with a management position. I've been presented with something in a public health sector, whatever it might be. There's much more of a heads up because they know it's not a me versus you thing. Right? We're not, we're not competing, right? We're, we're a team. So, um, I think as we've been instituting a lot of our, our, what we call like our retention program stuff for me and Raj, um, the more we do, the more we see these behaviors in our staff change actually. Mm -hmm. So the employee, employee retention has been pretty good. I mean, so the environments, um, seems like a great environment that you guys have been creating with uh, Raj um, in terms of uh, clients for the clinic. Have you seen kind of a correlation between that and uh, your uh, patient retention? Yes. Um, one, one thing we've noticed is we haven't had a lot of turnover period in this, you know, going on, you, you know, we're just about finishing year six now, right? So. Going on to year seven, we've only had two physios move on, um, and they were both moved on to completely different opportunities um, outside of public, like private practice. Uh, but because of their longevity, those their clients seem to or tend to retain with us. We don't lose a lot when we lose a therapist. Mm -hmm. So I think that goes to tell you a lot about just the way that. The entire staff interacts with everybody yeah. as opposed to it just being that connection to the one therapist which is one thing we've been very adamant about building right we want to you know when you come into the clinic we want it to be an inviting place we want it to, to look like a place you come to get better right we along with the up you know the, the painting upgrades we actually just repainted everything we don't want scuff walls, you know, scuffs on our walls. We don't want like stains on the floors. We don't want that sort of thing happening, right? We want new artwork and new paintings and stuff like that to make it look like um, a place, you know, you want to come because if you're in pain, like most people seeking physio or chiropractic are, yeah. you're probably not in a good mood anyway. So it's really up for our staff to build those connections, but everybody as a, as a whole family from the moment, you know, they walk in to meet one of our administrative uh, team members to the moment they're with their therapist as well yeah. and then that continues um, and then the second part to that is now that we are a little more active on social media I find that retention's been improved a little bit as well because then they also get a little bit more of an interaction um, whether it's with Raj or myself or kind of from the team as a whole even if we're not in the clinic where you know for two years Raj and I could have could have both listed any clinic, any client, sorry, who walked in the clinic to see any therapist. Now we've just got too many people and we're just not there enough. So it allows us or gives us another avenue to still have a little bit of connection with anybody who's coming into the clinic as well. Interesting. Yeah, so uh, you mentioned that, you know, when you guys started the social media, that kind of helped you with, you know, um, connecting with your patients. Um, have you seen any other benefits with the, you guys started using social media? when you guys kind of started your accounts and mm -hmm. when you had your physios kind of 
start there just as well? Yeah, I've definitely seen a benefit. Um, well, the first thing for me was the benefit was always going to be putting exercises online yeah. that then I no longer had to draw out yeah. or <laughs> give pieces, people a piece of paper with their exercises yeah. on it. So that's always been my number one goal is to do less work when it comes to that side You're of it. You're not drawing stick figures? Not, <laughs> not anymore, man. Are those like archaic yeah. programs on the computer? You know? Yeah. Stick figures? Yeah. The generic, yeah, the generic <laughs> video of somebody doing the exercise wrong or like Google image search and stuff like that. Yeah, it drives yeah. me crazy. So for me, uh, I mean, that's half the benefit is I can throw a picture yeah. or a video up and I can just, you know, I can either tag them or they can just go on and see it right away with an explanation of how to do their exercise. Yeah. So for me, that's been great. Um, and then the, the clients really love that. <laughs> surprisingly like yeah. I thought it was just for my benefit but <laughs> they actually really like it because they can instead of again a stick figure or a picture they're actually seeing the exercise being performed yeah. um, as well as kind of like mistakes that commonly get made with it however we have seen with some of um, our community programs we've actually seen some growth as far as gaining new clients as well right. um, we've we've reached out to and formed you know connections with um, Toronto Roller Derby and with Canadian Beach Soccer, as well as a couple kind of local fitness influencers mm -hmm. in and around the downtown core who have, you know, they're really the ones who run Instagram. So when they, you know, they, they're showing up at the clinic and advertising you a little bit, it definitely helps. Mm -hmm. um, actually bring people in, but also get people on board your social media programming as well, which then just allows you to grow your reach and your access to people when they get hurt or when they get injured mm -hmm. as well, or if they just need a massage, right? Or a pair of orthotics or something. So I was very apprehensive specifically for Instagram physiotherapy. So I know the statistic for dentists is it's a hyper local business. So they have about two to two and a half kilometers of radius where they're going to get 95% of their clientele for physio we assume it's about the same, but it might actually be a little bit smaller, okay? Unless you have some sport, sort of specialty that is driving people into you, right? Or a direct referral. So again, about 90 to 95% of your catchment is going to be that close. Mm -hmm. For that reason, I was a little apprehensive in dumping time and energy into an avenue like uh, like Instagram, Facebook a little less because you can target it a little bit better, but Instagram specifically, uh, Twitter was never really a great one for, for healthcare companies. Um, so you see a lot of people wasting time and I see a lot of my colleagues who are just kind of on this Instagram train now because everybody else is on the Instagram train and they really have no idea what they're doing. Um, on it, there's no, there doesn't seem to be a goal other than just be on Instagram. Yeah. Um, but for us, again, we're in a, in a distinct marketplace where we are in the core of Toronto with a very young, more affluent base. So for us, it made sense to jump on an avenue where they were using as well and try to grow from that side as well. So it has been good. And I was, again, I, I'm first one to admit that I was the one who was like, this is a waste of our time, yeah. but I had to become an adopter of it because once you see the power of it happening, it actually does grow quite well. For sure, for sure. Um, just want to change gears uh, just a little bit here. Uh, dive a little bit deeper into the, the finances and the business side of the yeah. clinic. Um, so why don't we start with at the beginning when you were to uh, open up the practice. Yes. Uh, you know, there's obviously different costs associated with different clinics. And you're in a very, um, you're in you know, the heart of downtown, you're on Front Street. So I'm um, just kind of wondering what were what was the capital or some of the funds that you needed to kind of start this business to get it going initially? I would, um, to give you a ballpark, you need roughly 175 to 200K in capital, okay? Um, depending on a couple factors. Um, you need personally somewhere between 25 to 50 of that money in personal capital um, for the bank to give you a lot of that money. Um, unfortunately, 
it's not like running a dental clinic where all you got to do is walk into the bank with a business plan and they'll hand over a big check to you. We need to do a little bit more due diligence and showing where we can show our growth. Um, the bank will fund roughly 80 to 90% of what you do. So that's where you need that extra 20 to 40 grand or 50 grand um, in your personal capital to, to account for the rest of it. Um, and then the rest comes down to how much, how much time you need to float uh, paying your administrative staff, basically, right? Um, until you're making money to pay rent and your management team and yourself. Um, and that comes down to a couple different factors. Um, there's definitely ways that we learned the hard way. We could have done better. We could have done quicker. We could have done cheaper. But you never really know until you've gone through those steps and gone through that process and see where you've made your mistakes. So hopefully when we get around to doing clinic number two, it's a little bit cheaper. Um, now that we have a, a corporation as, as well, the way that we finance that money changes a little bit. But for first-time clinic owners, you need quite a bit of money up front. Um, and it's really all just a setup of the clinic, right? Um, unless you were to really do something kind of one-off solo practitioner, which I've seen a lot of colleagues do just because of the low overhead costs. You could rent a bed, you can buy a bed. You know, a really nice card and bed's only going to run you about three and a half grand, right? It's a fairly small amount of money couple acupuncture needles and some massage lotion really you can run right and pay somewhere rent to be so you'll see people now starting solo practitioner clinics within Pilates studios and yoga studios almost more of a massage therapist setup I've seen that start to happen a lot more now um, when you start to lease or rent buy a building that's where the the big cost comes in right because now you've got to You've actually got to design a layout, right? So most places people will get a designer to do that, right? Um, you need logos designed, you need websites designed, all that sort of stuff. You need lawyers involved, lawyers do not come cheap, right? Um, anytime you're in a partnership, you definitely need lawyers, right? In case things go bad or things go really good and somebody wants to sell or somebody gets sick or what, what might be, right? So um, I know Raj and myself invested have and continue to invest a lot in lawyers um, try to keep everything above board I know that's a place where some people and colleagues good friends of mine have decided to put that to the side when starting to save a little bit of capital and then do that later on and that's obviously a choice everybody's got to make but I think your all-in total comes to about 175 to 200 is that for uh, renting a space or did you actually purchase real estate we we were renting okay yeah. we're we're leasing our space um, we acquired into a couple to buy um, because it's Toronto and you want to buy yeah. spaces yeah. you can <laughs> so unfortunately a lot of places aren't selling anymore Makes because sense. they know what the cost is yeah um, and to be in a, a nice high density area we are um, exactly. the leasing just ended up being the best option yeah. definitely out front so sorry so going off of that, um, did you, and you mentioned boutique kind of style clinic before, did you always know that you kind of wanted to be in that kind of location or how did that kind of happen? You stumbled upon that location? Because I'm pretty sure that that location is quite, or that area is quite expensive to rent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not cheap. It's not cheap. It's not cheap. Yeah. It's Front Street. <laughs> yeah, it's like Front Street right down the street from Skydome, right? So it's, yeah. not, it's not the cheapest rent in the city, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, that was actually one of those things that it just became, when we sat down, me and Raj, uh, I had been playing around with business plans in my head anyways, yeah. actually before meeting with Raj, and that was an area that I was looking at as well, mm -hmm. somewhere in the downtown core, kind of, I didn't want to go as far as Liberty Village, and I didn't want to go into the direct core on University where there's a, a glut of physio clinics, yeah. uh, and he just also happened to have the same thought process so we just um, that was one of those weird connections that we had both been thinking about anyways and it just ended up working the honest truth is when it comes to numbers and you're looking at rent you want to be somewhere where the rent is somewhat high 
because especially if you're wanting to run more of a boutique style physio clinic or healthcare clinic where you want to do half hour appointments, you've got to be able to charge a fee to cover all your costs and your living fees and all that sort of stuff. And you can't do that necessarily. And, you know, and I say this lovingly, having grown up there with some places in Scarborough, right? You got to choose your location a little bit. So going to somewhere like, I know Gerard East, you can still get some places for about $14, $15 a square foot. You're not going to be able to charge $75 for a half hour physio session. You might not even be able to charge $50 for a half hour physio session there. So you have to plan accordingly a little bit, right? Those aren't, um, those numbers don't always work the way we want them to. Yeah. And if you want to charge a, a premium service, sometimes you have to go somewhere where the, the rent's also at a premium as well. So I think location is actually more important than just saying, you know, my rent is X a square foot. So while we're on the topic of costs, how did you minim how did you guys minimize your overhead costs when you kind of started the clinic? Or what were some of your overhead costs uh, costs? Initially, I'll tell you the, the first way you minimize costs is you stop paying yourself. <laughs> that is the first thing that happens. Your salary goes away, <laughs> just disappears for the first year. Um, and you start to eat a lot of frozen pizzas and frozen progies and whatever beers on sale that day, basically. Um, overhead costs, the biggest things for us, um, like I mentioned earlier, lawyers just trying to get a corporation set up, um, a partnership set up, um, make sure um, rent is obviously going to be a high cost, um, a monthly cost as well. It's not a one-time fee, unfortunately, that we pay. And then really just the materials we needed, right? So um, going in and buying four or five clinical treatment beds, right? Um, some police equipment, um, a, you know, a, a bike, a reform, or whatever you're going to put in your clinic. That's a, a huge overhead cost that's going to eat up somewhere between, you know, 20 to 30K of what you're bringing in, right? Um, and that you can't put on a payment plan, right? So that's putting you into the red from, from day one. And then the second thing, biggest thing is just the cost of your staff. Right, who are always going to get paid before you do. And that you can luckily kind of grow with, but I'd say the biggest uh, the biggest thing is just getting the, that equipment and that monthly rent, unfortunately. Um, when did you guys start becoming uh, profitable where you could start paying yourself? How did, and kind of how did that happen? What was the process to kind of go past that break-even point? Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I mean, we just, even from day one, we just took a very, not that we were never getting paid, but we, were, we just took a very, very low salary. Um, Raj and my goal was to get out of the bank's debt as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. So we did keep our salary low, probably lower than we should have. Um, to give you an example, now that we've, you know, uh, two years ago this fall, we expanded, we took over the location, um, the storefront beside of us. We tore that down and we expanded, we broke the walls down and added a bunch of physio and uh, massage treatment rooms. For that, we're not in any hurry. We're paying the bank on a set schedule that they set out and we don't want to be paying it off for 20 years and be paying way too much in interest, but we're also not just throwing all our extra cash at the bank. Um, but when we did it the first time around, we were throwing every dollar we earned to get out of the bank, right? Because we were so scared of this interest rate. The reality is that the interest rates are still very low, um, even as they continue to grow in the past year, that you don't have to, you know, burn yourself out doing that. Um, I would say it was like, you know, after two full years, we were kind of up to a more manageable salary where we were comfortable again maybe not making what we should have been for the hours we were still putting in, mm -hmm. but a much more comfortable wage. The biggest thing for us, the biggest tipping point for us was actually getting other physiotherapists and other massage therapists successful at our clinic, mm -hmm. right? So for us, I mean, we 
decided to rent a space that was about 14 or 1300 square feet to begin with, there was four rooms and only two of us. Maybe it would have been different if we had just gotten a smaller space and moved into a bigger space as we grew. We always wanted to have a bigger clinic. Yeah. So once we had two successful physios with us, that was when the clinic became very sustainable, right? Um, and we didn't have to be doing 45 hours a week, right? Because we had uh, people working alongside of us. And that's also when our goals changed to just being very good clinicians to our patients, but also helping our therapists grow, right? And their success became part of our goals as well, right? To help help them succeed was going to help us succeed in the long run. Interesting. So how many years did it take for you to have to get to that point where um, you guys kind of filled up those four rooms and, you know, were kind of started making more of a income I think about four years in four years we in. were we were pretty busy to the point where at that uh, you know at that stage we would have one physio you know we would leave the room at two and there'd be another physio running in to take their client in at two yeah um, and that's actually what propagated us taking over the, the building next door um, and it forced us to investigate did we want a second clinic did we want to continue to grow within the space where we had or were our options at that point um, we also, I think, um, at that point, started to step away from clinical treatment a little bit yeah. to then start reinvesting more formally in the clinic, right? So as opposed to business development outside of clinical hours, actually dedicating, a, you know, an eight-hour chunk or two four-hour chunks a week to actually try to drive some changes. Mm -hmm. uh, get away from just, you know, putting your head down. And it's hard. I... I we definitely made the mistake at the beginning, and uh, I see a lot of colleagues do it now. As an owner, you can make, or a clinic director in some cases, you can make a lot of personal income if you just put your head down and work. And you continue to see 38 to 40 hours a week worth of clients and taking your percentage or your salary, whatever it might be, plus what you know the rest of the clinic is making and your bonuses or however you've kind of structured it out. But what ends up happening is the clinic becomes stagnant at that point, right? There, there's never going to be the ability to grow because you're just so focused on making your $100,000 a year or $120,000 a year, whatever you're getting paid, until somebody leaves. And then you start to realize there's something missing within your machine, right? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of the biggest thing that happened is once we realized we could be a little more comfortable... And then noticing what happened when we gave ourselves eight hours a week, and then within a year we gave ourselves sixteen hours a week, mm -hmm. you know. And, and at this point now, after six full years, where Raj and I are both working twenty hours a week within the business, mm -hmm. as opposed to just fitting it in. Yeah. And because of that, I think the growth of the business and the growth of our staff and employees have exponentially grown as well, which has been huge for us. Interesting. So you guys didn't have the so the plan for the second clinic wasn't kind of really in your minds until you actually saw that you were growing pretty quickly. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, it's something we've always wanted. Okay. Um, we've always, you know, um, I guess you know, you need that goal or something that you're striving to. Yeah. That picture in your head. Raj and I have always pictured having three, four clinics, right? Um, that's always been our goal from day one. But again, never having been in the position, I don't think we knew when to do it oh, okay. <laughs> or when to expand yeah, yeah. or when to even start thinking about it um, as more of a tangible idea as opposed to just a vision in our heads. Um, now having done a couple growth strategies and grown in a couple different ways in the clinic, I think we see where we maybe should have done that and maybe should have made that move. And I think in our next reincarnation of it, we'll probably move quicker. And, you know, if there's one thing I think I, you know, to go back in time and the mistakes we've made, the only one I would have really redone or wanted a, a mulligan on is when to have started a second clinic. Because I would have, I think we would have done it earlier 
And I think we would have, um, we were too worried about the current clinic being perfect. Yeah. As opposed to realizing it's 90% there, mm -hmm. we can make a second move, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, which is just, you know, our personalities and we wanted it to be absolutely a plus, you know, like we want that gold star from everybody walking through the door. Um, and now, you know, we've, it's just been something we've learned and, um, I don't say we've missed out on anything, but we might have two or three clinics by this point, as opposed to one larger clinic. Right. So you guys grew pretty quickly. It sounds like, um, relatively, mm -hmm. um, what are some of the strategies that you guys use to market yourselves and grow? And what are some tips you might have for clinic owners now that potentially might be kind of stagnant in terms of their growth? They might have hit a plateau. Mm -hmm. The biggest one I tell everybody is it's still a hyper local business, right? You have to be integrated into your community. You got to figure out what your community is first, but after that you need to be integrated with them, right? Um, it's not enough just to, as I was alluding to before, be on Instagram and just throw up a post about running injuries. It's not going to get you anywhere, right? You have to be able to get that message to those runners, right? So if, if that's the case, you need to be at the running room. You still There's still no shortage of benefit from actually making face-to-face -face contact with people. Um, being at community events. Raj and I still go do, you know, we're out of everybody at the clinic, when we run events, um, let's say at the Toronto Roller Derby, Raj and I still do the most. Even though you would think it'd be somebody younger coming along being like, I want I want to do that because that's how I want to get my clients, but it's still me and Raj who go there as you know the face of foundation mm -hmm. to go do it, right? Mm -hmm. um, last The last two years we've done something called City Fest down in the City Place area, mm -hmm. which is like a big community festival. Last summer it was me and Raj there from nine o'clock in the morning until nine o'clock at night. Just because that's still the best way to make connections with people and meet people, um, educate them, right? Um, and it's not about selling, it's about educating. And then people will find you when they when they need it. Um, so I can't, you know, it sound, I, f I feel like I sound like such an old man saying, like, still go knock on doors and pound pavement and stuff. But it really is the biggest way, right? Like, go to running clinics, right? Go to hockey hockey classes or whatever it might be, your skating classes, skiing classes, talk to the instructors, talk to, you know, um, one of my, still to this day, my best referral sources are personal trainers, right? You just got, but you got to make those connections with them, let them know you know what you're doing and you want to know that they're doing what they sh should be doing so you can refer back as well, right? Um, the second thing I think that's important for more to if the scenario you, you were saying where somebody's stagnant, I think at that point you need to figure out, you need to become an accountant and you need to actually figure out what you're doing wrong. You need to figure out where you're investing your time and your money and is it worth it, right? Um, I know too many clinics and too many colleagues who do everything. Every clinic has a public health therapist now. Every clinic has a running therapist now and a McKenzie therapist and an acupuncturist or, you know, and it goes on and on. But if you're always doing a little bit of everything, but not doing anything well, and again, it goes to getting that message out, it's going to be very hard to succeed in this marketplace, and specifically in the Toronto um, or in an urban, any urban um, marketplace where there's a lot of competition. The second thing is just making sure you're actually hitting clinical KPIs, right? So knowing what you and your other therapists are doing when they're in clinic, right? Making sure... And it sounds kind of bad to say this, but making sure clients are being seen, right? That you're not losing them after one session. Uh, a lot of physios get a lot of little um, apprehensive when I say things like that, like make sure you're seeing them five sessions or six sessions or 10 sessions. But the example I give is if somebody comes in with an ACL tear, and I know you can you feel me on this one. <laughs> Definitely. <right? laughs> if somebody walks in with that, right? Yeah. And... The therapist doesn't make you book because they feel bad. What's your outcome going to be, right? You know it's three months of intensive physio or rehab and then another three months of less intense rehab where you're doing a lot of it on your own. But if somebody doesn't set that out for you, the general public is coming to us because they, they believe we have something to offer in the way of education and 
in the way that they, uh, you know, they trust their GP to tell them how much medication to take, right? And if we just say, yeah, come back when you feel like it, or we don't put a plan together to help them succeed, one, they're just not getting better. And two, you're really failing at your job, right? The byproduct of putting a program of care together is actually that you get paid, right? Um, and it goes for anything simple, like an ankle sprain is another example I always give, right? But if you don't tell somebody to, what to do and how to do it and, and actually take them through those cues, that unfortunately as physios, we all take for granted as second nature, mm -hmm. the general public doesn't actually know what they should be doing. They don't know what the research shows as far as preventative health to minimize future ankle sprains or whatever you know it might be to get them there. That's our job to educate them. And that's our job to get them in the clinic to get them better as well. Because then if, you know, you just, you come in for your, your back injury, you know, you fall down the stairs and I'm popping with the back pain, right? And if I tell you it's going to take six sessions, but you actually follow through and you come to me for six sessions and you get better, you're also going to tell your friends that physio works, right? Yeah. And it acts like a self-propagating um, marketing machine, essentially, right? But if I don't tell you that and you just fall off after two seconds. Okay. Okay. Um, so what are some advice that you might have for someone who is kind of thinking about starting their own practice now mm -hmm. um, and how to go, kind of go about that? How to learn some of the business skills that might be necessary to initially start your own practice? I'd say the first thing to do is Look outside of physio. Um, look outside of healthcare for ideas on how to build culture, um, how to conceptualize the culture you want, how to conceptualize the team building you want to do, um, as well as you know learning how to manage margins and learning how to manage salary and profit loss statements. These aren't things that we are necessarily taught, and we there's not a lot of resources within the healthcare community and the physiotherapy community. Most of the stuff you'll see through uh, a lot of the business whizzes in physio, and a lot of them are from Britain or Australia or the US right now, it's all on acquiring patients as opposed to necessarily running a business. And I think that's where a lot of us get lost. It's most physios are gonna find a way to get clients. It's how do you actually run the business to be a successful business without you having to just be a business manager. So you have the option of either hiring a business manager and partnering up with somebody who maybe has an MBA or has a, a proper business degree, or you have to start looking outside again of physio and, and trying to find some different ways and, and avenues, and different websites like Inc.com and stuff, which are meant for entrepreneurs to gain some of these insights. Um, I don't love it, but like some of the Tim Ferriss stuff he does, you know, interviews and books, he's a little pretentious, but um, <laughs> at least, you know, he's at least talked to some guys who can, yeah. you know, who offer some tidbits of advice right. along the way that I think anybody in any industry, it really carries over. As far as like running a, a physio business, um, the nice thing is it's a little bit of the wild west out there still because nobody really has anything codified or figured out perfectly yet so there's really no right or wrong way to do it you just have to have the guts to do it and really try to focus on that that culture and your vision and what's that vision that you're trying to bring out and try to find ways to bring your team to bring that vision out as well all right that note um, is there any particular book that you would recommend for someone someone wanting to learn more about business or oh good question um, gosh, if you want a, I think I might have actually recommended this book for you a while back, um, and I'm trying to think of the name of it right now. I'm totally drawn to blank, boys. <laughs> there is a book that was, that kind of explained, um, cash flow and kind of just the managing of cash flow and, and managing money coming in and out, um, for somebody who's not an accountant. Um, I'll have to pass the, the name of it 
cue guys yeah, back no again. Worries, no worries. Um, I'm totally drawing a blank <laughs> on it though. Um, and it wasn't a long read. It was, uh, you know, it was like a two hour read. It wasn't too extensive. That might be one of our messages from a while back. <laughs> um, I'm drawing a blank too. I don't know. Yeah, I gosh. remember you told me one too. Memory's getting worse as they get older. <laughs> Mine's already terrible. <laughs> no help, man. Yeah. Actually, I was wanting to go. You posted something recently um, on your Instagram, and it, your post said, "What gets measured gets managed." Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could elaborate more on um, what you meant by that in, in the context of business. Yeah, I, I think it goes, and specifically for physio, yeah. it goes a couple ways for us. Mm -hmm. We have to be measuring. Again, to go back to what I said about client care, right? You've yeah. got to be measuring what you're doing. So are you, if you're going to run an Instagram uh, deal or you're going to offer your clients a deal of some sort or, or you're offering a new program, public health, running assessments, whatever it might be, yeah. your plan has to be in place that that's all your advertising is going to be about, local newspapers, websites, whatever it is. You have to measure then some way how to find out, did your assessments go up? Did they go up randomly or yeah. were they from that promotion that you did? Yeah. Um, then who's seeing those clients, right? Um, are those clients then sticking around? Do they not have a good uh, consumer score, right? Are they then ranking their interactions with your staff well or are they ranking them poorly, right? Like on a 10 point scale. Um, that's it, the e-myth. Gosh, that's it. <laughs> that's why I couldn't remember the name. Yeah. It's, it's an older book series, yeah. um, and the E-Myth, they kind of made a bunch of these to, for different professions, and they do have one for physicians. Um, again, it's, it's actually aimed at the U.S., so oh, where it's more of a for-profit uh, scheme. So I, I thought it was a, a good overview of how we should be conceptualizing how to run a healthcare business as a practitioner who long, no longer wants to be a sole practitioner and helps, um, you know, they teach you in school how to be a good solo practitioner, but they never really guide us any way on how to actually grow a business um, or what's involved in growing a business. And unfortunately, up until recently, any of the clinics that you see along Toronto, if they're not corporate like a life marker CBI, they tend to be a solo practitioner who's just happens to hire people yeah it's probably not going to guide you uh, maybe doesn't even know what he did right or wrong mm -hmm. or the kpis that he should have been measuring yeah. or whatever it might be right mm -hmm. so we measure as much as we possibly can yeah and we do that by um you know we offered a new actually one of our chiropractors when did like a fascial stretch program so we wanted to offer that so we created a completely different code that we can tag on to every appointment that brought in so now, when I look back in the next month, I can do a quick search based on a keyword that's going to pull up all the people who came from our newsletter. Yeah. We can track how many people opened our newsletter every month, right? Yeah. Who clicked on that deal and followed that link through. Um, we, tr we track calls that come in the clinic, right? How many calls come in, how many are new, client, uh, new customers versus rebookings, right? Yeah. Um, I want to know uh, for our team who runs our phone line, how are they doing at booking, right? Yeah. Are they giving good information? Are they yeah. not? Do yeah. I need to retrain them? Do I need, are they getting, is that all going well? And they actually get into the clinic and then they get in the clinic and then, you know, net performance score, you know, was there no chocolates out? Was there no coffee ready? Was there no water? Was the place a disaster? Is that what they're telling me? Because yeah. I need to fix that. Or did they, everything was perfect till they got to Sarush, my new physio, and he just wasn't a very good physio, right? <laughs> then I got to work on Sarush, <laughs> right? So you can only guess either wise, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. And it's not that after one month you have a perfect answer, but after you track things for six months to a year, yeah. you know when an aberration happens and you can manage those, those good scores and those bad scores and yeah. it, it's going to guide you on how you're using your time, but also how you're going to grow your business. Yeah. And you might actually pick up sometimes unintentionally what your clients are actually looking for as well. Really? Right. Every once in a while they give you a little tidbit when you give them a survey. It says, how is your, you know, how, how was things, how was your assessment? How was whatever it might be? Mm -hmm. And sometimes they give you a little tidbit that might change the way that you're changes the way that we realize that they're perceiving us. Right, it, yeah. it gives us a way to get out of our own heads and out of our own way. Yeah, for sure. Right. 
Well, that's oh. something that. Oh, sorry. No, um, go ahead. No. Yeah. That's something that Sanjeev is always kind of preaching to us. You know, kind of measuring the KPIs. Yeah. But that in school, like, um, that's something we don't even go over. Like, like these terms, like KPIs. Mm -hmm. And I've only started to learn about these terms from my business friends. Yeah. And yeah, I wish that we kind of would be able to go more a bit more into depth about these kind of mm -hmm. um, these aspect of business in our kind of program at school. But. Well, I'll tell you even further to that point, though. I mean, like, those are very clinical things yeah. that you're, you're looking for. They're really things that should be measured or, like, percentage of, you know, when you're talking, like, uh, profit, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what is your profit? Most people don't know. They know they get paid, but they don't know why, right? Yeah. So, you know, how much of your profit is or your gross income is going to advertising? What's going to the website? What's going to maintenance mm -hmm. at the clinic, right? What's going to front desk staff? What's going to your management team, right? These are other KPIs that we really don't talk about in physio. Because mm -hmm. again, we tend to think of money as a dirty word. Uh, but we need to do, we need to talk about it more so that we can all get on the same page, but all succeed as well, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we'll definitely be in touch with you with to talk about some of these measures and maybe, uh, make a make a little maybe a blog post for the listeners. So, because uh, yeah. I'm sure, like if uh, you know, we definitely like Justin was saying, and I'd be interested to see what kind of measures you know that you guys are keeping track of and other clinics are keeping track of. But um, but yeah, but uh, thanks uh, so much for uh, coming on and uh, appreciate, appreciate you guys reaching out to me. Help. Yeah. More than happy to come on for some yeah. coffee, for some free coffee. <laughs> it's a way to a man's heart. Yeah. <laughs> we'll bring some beer or whiskey next time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, thanks so, again for um, all the all the information. Um, we just kind of want to know if where we can find you on social media. Um, you know, other uh, if you have Instagram, um, yeah. the clinic's Instagram, any of those that you want to mention to the uh, <laughs> the listeners. Okay. Do you have a yeah. list ready? La <laughs> laughing, at yeah. laughing at me because I gotta look it up. <laughs> no worries. It's um, like you guys are too young to really know MS or like ICQ before. Like ICQ is this thing before MSN Messenger, and you had like a number. Oh, oh no! And I'm people no used to be able to like list off their number, and I never could. <laughs> like the BBM yeah. before the BBM. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this goes like way back. Wow. Um, so yeah, you can find some more about us from uh, on Instagram, Foundation Physio, all one word, or um, Matt does physio as well. Those are our kind of biggest ones that we use. And then again, Facebook uh, for anybody who still uses Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> We still have it for the clinic. Cambridge Analytica didn't <laughs> push you off. <laughs> um, okay. All right. So uh, thanks yeah. again for coming on, and uh, yeah, we'll speak with you again soon. If uh, if the listeners have any questions that they want to ask uh, Maddie, or if they have any questions for the future, definitely reach out to us. Our uh, email is info at ptbusinesscorner.com. Uh, so definitely reach out to us. Yeah. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thank you everyone for tuning in to the PTBC podcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode today. Please check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at our website, ptbusinesscorner.com. Feel free to send us a message on social media or email us at info at ptbusinesscorner.com. See you next time. time.